This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at indepthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. Last week about consecration, we talked about the blood being applied to the thumb, and we don't realize how... Um, much we use our thumb and how, how much the dexterity, dexterity of the hand depends upon the thumb. So I gave Dan and Jen a homework assignment is to go in the kitchen and try to make something, but to, to <coughs> tape or tie their thumbs back. That's why I, I mentioned last week that the, that the, the thumb represents the power. The power of the hand is there, is there in the thumb. You don't realize it. And all the dexterity... Uh, for everything you do, all the means by which you accomplish something uh, starts with, with the thumb. And also, you know, with the big toe, you know, we couldn't do that experiment, but it's basically the same thing. You cannot walk without really losing your balance without your big toes. So, so when the Lord instructs them to take the blood and apply it, to the ear, the thumbs, and, and the big toes, those are very, very representative of certain things that are very basic and necessary with the Christian. Now today, I really, what we're going to do is I want to look in chapter 9, uh, and I don't have a lesson per se like last week. But what I want to do is read these verses and comment on some of these verses. Because as I was looking at this, I realized that we could teach one whole lesson on every verse here. And of course, there's no way we can do that. But I, I could see how every verse here, there was just something in there, some truth that God you know, wanted to show or portray there. But, but last week we looked at chapter 8, and uh, we looked at the washing of the priest. Now, th this is primarily speaking of the high priest and also um, Aaron's sons and the other priests. But in particular, the high priest and his sons, who were, were to also take that office whenever he you know, passes away. Uh, and we looked at uh, the washing and the clothing of the priests in, in chapter 8. And then um, we, we looked at the anointing, how there had to be a stripping, a washing, and a clothing before the anointing oil was poured upon him. And then after that, you had the blood being applied to the ear the hear, for hearing, you know, hearing, hearing the voice of the Lord, uh, the hand, okay, the means by which you, you accomplish the will of God for your life, spiritually speaking, and the toes, which represent the balance, your walking God, you know, the direction He's setting your life and, and all that, the blood being applied to those. Now, there is a verse here, and we'll read, read this one verse, um, then we'll move to chapter 9. Verse 30, and Moses took, this is chapter 8, Moses, Leviticus. And Moses took of the anointing oil 
and of the blood which was upon the altar and sprinkled upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon his son's garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's garments with him. So you had both of these things there in the ritual that, that had to take place where, where you had the anointing oil and the blood, both. Both for specific purposes, not just a ritualistic thing, but something further, something deeper was to occur within the priest. So now they went through the, this consecration uh, here in chapter 8. And when we begin chapter 9, this, this, they went through this for, for uh, seven days. Uh, going through all the different things the Lord uh, had, had set up for them. Now remember that we're, we're dealing here with, so to speak, the ritual that they had to go through. But God is not concerned as much with ritual as he is with what is going on in the heart. You can sit down and it can be your, your ritual, so to speak, to, to read the word. And that's very good. But God's more concerned about what's going on here in the heart than what you're doing as far as you know, the ritual that you go through. The same, and I've mentioned this before, about coming to church can be a good thing. But it can be ritualistic if nothing happens here in your heart. So God is, is looking here actually at two different things. He's looking at their obedience. See, this is what I want you to do. You know, you go and you, you make this sacrifice and you do this thing. And, and you apply the blood, and you pour the anointing oil, and, and he's, he's looking at that. Are you going to be obedient to what I'm showing you, see? And God will come on a personal level, and he will direct us, and he was just, just going to just look back and say, okay, now I'm going to see if they're going to be obedient to that. Then you have that which, which moves further down in the person, now, what is going on here? See, obedience isn't to be a surface thing. It is something that is to come out from your being, from within you, because of the, the touch of God. See, you come forward, and it's for a reason. Not, not you know, coming to man. You're not coming here um, uh, because of whatever reason, you're coming to God so that he can touch your heart. So he's looking at the inner man, what is going on there. Uh, you often hear people make these uh, claims that they will do this for the Lord and that for the Lord, and, and um, I will serve you and all. But what is going on in the heart, and, and when they come to God... Is there something in their heart that is being consecrated, given to him, so that now God's going to, going to be able to help them and enable them to move forward? See, so, so that you always seem to have always the two things, the, the thing up here on the surface that's moving and then something underneath that God is really looking for. Now, in chapter 9, we'll start with verse 1. 
Well, let's just go back to one more verse in Leviticus 8. And we looked at this last week. Uh, Verse 12. And he poured the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Now, sanctify means to set apart or to prepare. So, this becomes something that is very, very important for the priest because the priest is going to be in this position where he is going to have to function in a way to bring about the, um, the goal that God requires, and that is the sacrifice for the atonement or the covering of the sins of the people. So in his heart, he has to be sanctified. Now, I, I looked up the word consecration because it's in, this, in some of these verses here. Um, verse 33 uh, has this word. And it's interesting. I looked it up this morning. Uh, and I looked at three sources, uh, three dictionaries. And they all said to set apart for God's service or worship. But there's another meaning here, and I'll get to it in a little bit, that I think is much more telling. And it's it's much more uh, revealing as far as where we should be. What does consecration mean to us? Uh, What should it mean? What should be going on? So let's just... Look at these verses, and, and what I did was I sat down and just looked at them, and as the Lord would, would show me something from them, I just put them in my notes, and we'll just look at, look at the verses, and I'll comment on them. Uh, verse 1, and it came to pass on the eighth day. Now remember, this, this occurred for seven days. Now, now seven days is, is a week, and then you have... The eighth day, which is the beginning of the new week. Or you can say the eighth day is a new beginning. So there is this seven days of consecration. Now, the priest, for the priest, there's a new beginning. He's going to be used now to actually uh, go, go in to, to the, um, the outer court there and begin to do the sacrifices that we looked at from chapter 1 through chapter 4. He's going to begin to function in that office. So this is a new beginning for him in that. But there is to be a new beginning here, within. So that when God calls, calls you to be consecrated unto him... There is to be a new beginning in your life. Now, the the definition that I like for this word is, it means to confirm, but it means to fill the hand. That's the actual meaning of the word, consecrate. And I was thinking that, you know, you have those who come forward to meet the Lord. And it's interesting that uh, over the years, you know, people come forward and when you start to pray for them or you start to uh, talk with them or to counsel them, whatever the Lord is giving you. One of the things that I see many times is that 
their hands are holding on to something. Sometimes it's fear. Uh, it can be all, anything, but there, there seems to always be something that they're holding on to that the Lord has to come and deal with. His spirit has to get in there. And so to speak, and, and this is how I was seeing this. Uh, in praying for people, that the Lord has to, to use many times the pastor or leader or, or you um, to, by the Spirit, open their hands. See, now the hands are open, and the Lord can take out some of the things that are there. Before, he'd have to pry, you see. But now he works to open the hands. Like when you, when you go to worship God, that is to be, your hands are open. There, there, there's, there's nothing there that, that God, God can just take what he wants and put in what he wants. And so now the Lord has opened the hand. Now the person by the Spirit can be set aside or be consecrated or, as the definition that I really like, is he can fill their hands. Now he can fill it with something else that will enable the person now to walk correctly before him. So in, in verse 1, you have this thing here with, with the eight days, or the first day. And remember, what happened? Jesus died, and on the first day, there was a resurrection. See, so, so that ties in here also. There, there's to be... A resurrection, when there's a true consecration of the individual in their heart, there's a resurrection there. You know, things become new, so to speak. Not that they're, they're born again at that minute. I'm talking about as far as their walk with God. Things change. And he said unto Aaron, Take thee a young calf for a sin offering. And I like this because he goes to sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the, the meal offering. But he mentions the sin offering first because sin offering deals with the nature of sin, the condition of the sinner. He wants to get that out of the way. He does that with the consecration of the priest. He does that with them and with the people so that the nature of sin is put out of the way because, see, you're going to be dealing here with the holiness of God and the sin nature and the holiness of God are our enemies. That You can't bring the two together. So he deals with that particular thing first. A sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take a kid... Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, for a burnt offering, also a bullock and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a meal offering mingled with oil, for today the Lord will appear unto you. So the promise here uh, to Aaron, his sons, and in particular to the people in verse 4, is that the Lord will appear unto them. Now, the appearance here is ushered in 
or will be ushered in by the consecration of the priest and the consecration of the people, or you could say the obedience of the priest and the obedience of the people. So before you even get to the end of this chapter, where the the, the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord appears, you have to go through the consecration and the obedience. And, And as I see it, that is, so to speak, a pattern. Now, now, even if the Lord, the glory of the Lord appears, you always have that purpose there in mind, and that is consecration and obedience. But in this setting, uh, the consecration occurred first. The priest had to, to be consecrated. They had to obey in offering the offerings. The people had to offer the offerings. So, you know, the Lord draws you to the altar... And he wants a sacrifice from your heart. And as you give the Lord that sacrifice, whatever it may be, now you are becoming obedient. And now that gives the Lord the opportunity to bring this consecration into your heart and life. And that sets you up now for seeing the glory of the Lord. I really don't believe that we can see the glory of the Lord without obedience and without the consecration, you know, that God wants. Uh, If you'll remember in John chapter 2, I believe it was, at the the wedding of Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine. If you read that real close, you will see, I mean, that was the glory of God, but only... The disciples saw the glory of God. The servants didn't see it. The guests didn't see it. And the servants were the ones that filled up the pots. That's very interesting. But they didn't see the glory of God. Only his disciples. Well, why was that? Well, because they were being obedient to the Lord. And to some degree, even though they didn't understand much, To some degree, uh, they were consecrated through God's words, through Jesus' words, uh, and some adherence to them. There was something in their life that enabled them to see the glory of God. So it's no accident here that all these things precede the glory of God. Verse 5. And they brought that which Moses commanded before the tabernacle of the congregation. All the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. So drawing near and standing before the Lord, for them to do that, it would be necessary for them to obey the Lord. Whatever he's showing, whatever he's commanded. And they brought that which Moses commanded. See? So so obedience, again enables one to stand before the Lord or to stand in the place that God wants them to stand. See, without the obedience, that couldn't occur. See, God can command, and He does. But unless we obey Him, we cannot stand before Him. So... um, 
their obedience here in this setting was to Moses. Moses directed them. They were to obey him. So those who are over you may hold the key as far as you're standing before the Lord. See, they, they may direct you. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to obey the Lord in. And just like with Moses, when they did that, now they could stand before the Lord, and they're in a place now where God can move and touch them and bless them. Verse 6. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded that that ye should do, and the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. So he repeats this same thing in verse 6 that he did in verse 3 about the glory of the Lord appearing unto them. Now what they needed to do, remember, Moses is bringing the commandment. And and this is, is always something, as far as I can see, that, that occurs. They had to hear. There's the commandment. It comes. They had to hear. Then they had to receive. Okay, I, I believe now that that's the commandment. Now I'm going to believe that. Then after that, they had to do. The, all these here were the responsibility of uh, the priests, actually, because Moses is directing them, and the responsibility of the people. All of these preceded them seeing the glory of the Lord. You know, people want to see the glory of the Lord, and they think they're going to come to church, and the Lord's going to move, and they're going to see the, the glory of the Lord. Well, they may, but to really see certain things and penetrate into certain things, the heart has to really be prepared. Certain things must occur with you. If you are hearing, receiving, and doing whatever the Lord is showing you on a personal level, that brings you to a place now where when the glory of the Lord appears, you will not only see it, but you will really see it because you'll be able to relate to it in here. So so these things are, are not an automatic thing. Certain things had to take place. You don't really see that, that process there. I mean, I do when I read it, but it's not spelled out with these words. But the, the commandment comes through Moses, and the people had to do it. Verse 7. And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar, and offer thy sin offering and thy burnt offering, and make an atonement for thyself and for the people, and offer the offering of the people, and make an atonement for them as the Lord commanded. So go here is, is to basically exercise the command commandment or to exercise the office of the priesthood. That's what he's telling them. Go and do this such and such and such and such. So the consecration will find its fulfillment now in the priest. Mediating. See, you you cannot have 
the effectiveness of any offering without the mediation of the priest. Now, um, I had a couple of scriptures. I don't know where they are. Maybe I have them later on here. But you have to have the, the mediation um, of the priest for anything to be effective as far as the offerings are concerned. Now, he says here, offer for thyself and the people. So Aaron has the responsibility here of his own heart, offer for yourself and for the people. See, the pastor has the responsibility for his own heart first and then the people. If God is going to use you as a Christian to minister in any way, First of all, there has to be this responsibility here with your heart that it is right. And then the responsibility for others. So, so you see that in this verse here. Verse 8. Aaron therefore went unto the altar and slew the calf of the sin offering, uh, which was for himself. So he had to take care of his own heart first. See, what good would it be to uh, try to minister to someone else if you have not been ministered to? Or another way to say it is how, how can you properly minister to others if you are not right yourself? See, so, so we must take heed unto ourselves and so that the Lord is able to work in our own heart and life first. That, after that, then you have the possibility now for the Lord to take you and now with a pure heart be used to minister to someone else or to minister to others. Offer for thyself and the people. So how can the, the, the priest offer the correct sacrifice if his heart is not right or if his heart is not pure? Remember, this is, this is serious business here. Because if the priest goes in, uh, and we'll look at this in another, a couple of weeks from now probably, dealing with the annual uh, Day of Atonement. If the priest goes in to the Holy of Holies and things aren't right with him, if his heart is not where it should be, if he hasn't gone through certain processes, the washing, the offering up, all these different things, and he goes in there, he dies. And that's not a spiritual analogy. He physically died. And, of course, the spiritual analogy would be that there would be death. So this is serious business. Um, I often wondered why, <laughs> if the Lord would um, do some of these things today, boy, it would really shake up the church. You know, you get someone in leadership that's, you know, evil and you know, not pure to the, you know, as far as the people the pure heart toward the people, and God would step in and 
it would shake some people up, like Ananias and Sapphira. Their heart wasn't right, and in the beginning, God said, the feet of the ones who just took your husband is going to take, take you now. So, you know, this was serious business, and I don't want to uh, think it's any less serious today, because it is. It's just, it's just different in that spiritually this is serious. Because your spiritual uh, progression or your spiritual death is on the line, so to speak. So basically, we, to, to a great degree, control our own destiny. It's called our will. You know, you can will to come to church. You can will to stay home. You can will to uh, sit down and read the Bible. Or you can will to go to the bar or to the drug den. And God's not going to stop you. He's going to let you do what you want. And that's serious business. Because your spiritual uh, destiny, if you want to say that, you, you know, where you are spiritually is at stake every day. Verse 9. And the sons of Aaron brought the blood unto him, and he dipped, uh, dipped his finger in the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar. Now, this is the brazen altar now. And poured, this, is, this is taking place in the outer court, in the brazen altar. When they, when they clothed the priest and did all this, it was, at the, I believe, at the door of the tabernacle there. And he poured it uh, upon the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. So here you have Moses, you have Aaron, and you have Aaron's sons. All involved here in this, they, they seem, it seems on the surface that they are all moving in the priest's office in truth. Okay? Um, and the sons of Aaron brought the blood. Okay, they're, they're moving in this thing, it seems, right? They're going through the rituals. They're going to church every, every Sunday and on Wednesday. They're moving in the rituals. But see, what is going on on the surface may not be reflecting what is going on in the heart. Sometimes that is the case, and other times that is not the case. How many sons did Aaron have? Does anybody know? Four. Now we know Nadab and Abihu. We're not too familiar with the other two. I'm not even sure that... Anybody here can, would remember the names of the other two? That's very interesting. Two of the sons, they're, they're doing the rituals, and, and something is going on in their heart that is pure and good. The other two are doing the same things on the surface, but what is going on in their heart is something much different. So just by what you're reading here, it seems like everything is fine. And Aaron and his sons, they brought the blood and they dipped his finger in the blood and put on the horns. Everything looks like it's fine. But we're not seeing what's going on below the surface. Because that is where 
the life and death issue is moving in the heart, not on the surface thing. So the inner change cannot be commanded. Moses commands them, do such and such, such and such, and such and such. But see, the inner change cannot be commanded by God, by Moses, by anyone. You understand? See, God does command it, but the actual change is not based 100% on the command. It is based upon the response of the individual. So that if Ithacar responds correctly, then the inner change is made that God wants. But if Nadab responds incorrectly, or doesn't respond to the command, then the inner change that God is after does not take place. It's the same today. The word of the Lord comes forth. Now, we can either respond to that and have the Lord do the inner change within us that he's desiring to do, or we can resist, or we can say, well, I think that this, this is what it should be, and this is how it's, you know, how we reason. We reason things all the time. And, and, and we can resist that and the inner change not take place and, and, and not accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. So, so these things here in Leviticus are so, <laughs> it's almost like they're written for today. I know they're written for then, but they're written for today too. The same principles are, are moving. Verse 10. But the fat and the kidneys and the call above the liver of the sin offering, he, he burnt upon the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. So he, he, he gives the Lord his portion, uh, the fat. The fat represented uh, God's portion. So the, the best part of, of the animal here, as God commanded, was to be given to the Lord. But what about the best part of the heart? See, God desires the fat or the best part of the offering be given to him. Do I, as a Christian, give the Lord the best part of the offering? Lord, do I give you my dedication? Do I give you my, my love? Am I giving God the best part of the offering? See, what is the best part of the offering as far as you're concerned? See, whatever the Lord is, is bringing to you uh, as far as what you need to do as a Christian. So you can have a response of either, yes, I will do that, and that is the best offering, the best part of the offering, because it's in obedience to him. So you give that to him. Okay, I'm going to walk in line, whatever it is. Or we can just resist and stay where we are, ignore it, whatever, do our own thing, however you want to say it, and never give the Lord the best part of the offering. 
oh, we can just, you know, give them money, put it in the offering plate. We can give them this thing or that thing. But see, it's not the best part or the fat of the offering. The fat of the offering is giving the Lord what He is desiring from you personally. And of course, that's going to be different for, probably for everybody here. So the Lord says, brother, I want you to teach. Well, Lord, I'll give you my money. I'll read the Bible every day. I'll pray ten times a day. Anything but teaching. Right? Yeah, I know. The best part of the offering, see, is giving the Lord what he's asking. That is what he wants put on the altar. That's what he wants to smell burning. See, because your will's involved in that. Sweet-smelling savor. I'm trying to find a place where I can stop here. Let's look at one more verse. And we'll continue, I think we'll continue next week with this chapter. Now, in contrast to giving God the best, you have verse 11. And the flesh and the hide, uh, he burnt with fire without the camp. The flesh or the hide, the hide there represents that which is hard, that which is thick. Or another way to say it would be the flesh. See, 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 the flesh, your flesh I'm talking about, the carnal nature. See, that is the part that is tough, that is the part that is hard, that is like the, the thick hide of an animal. That has to be taken out of, the, out of the way, taken out of the camp and burned. Why does it have to be taken out of the camp? Well, it has to be taken out of the camp for the benefit of the people, for the benefit of others. Take it outside and it has to be burnt. So that if I come here into church and I am moving in my flesh, in my carnal man, then I can influence others in a way that they will not offer the best unto the Lord. But if that strong, tough, carnal hide... If I let the Lord take that thing out and burn that out without the camp, outside the camp, outside the church, so to speak, now that allows me to bring spirit and life to those that are around, those that the Lord may have me pray for or whatever. So you have these two contrasts, as I see it, in these, in these two verses. God's not interested. He doesn't want the flesh. But what He wants from you and I is the best or the obedience to what He's showing you in a personal level, whatever that may be. And the other things are to be placed outside. But all too many times... We allow the things of this world, we allow the things that we have to deal with during the week, or the people we have to deal with during the week, to so influence us, uh, so that we start to move in carnality, 
rather than in the Spirit. I'll, I'll just share this. The Lord dealt with me on this, this issue. I was at work. I went into the men's room. And there's four mirrors on the wall. And the guy that was supposed to clean the bathroom didn't clean the mirrors for four months. And I'm telling you, they were so filthy and bad, you could hardly see yourself in the mirror. So I said, well, this guy, he's not doing his job. So I'll help him a little bit. So I got this liquid soap and went right on the, right on the mirror. Now, there's no way you're getting that off unless you clean it. And I turned around, and I, I didn't even get out of the... I just stepped out of the men's room, and the Lord says, What did you do? Go back in there and clean those mirrors. Clean that off that mirror. He says, If you don't, I'm going to make you go to the guy, apologize, and then clean the mirrors. So that was my, so to speak, ultimatum from the Lord. And I said, forgive me, Lord. I repent. I went in there, happily cleaned the mirror, and never did that again. But see, who would have seen me? There was nobody in there. Who would have known that happened? Nobody here. Nobody I worked with would have known. But do I want to walk in something carnal? And ignore God and say, well, he deserves it. Well, that's beside the point. I need to walk with him during the week. Not just here in church, but during the week. What goes on in your life during the week? See, that's what's important. When you leave church, who sees you? Other than the people you live with. Sometimes they don't see it. They don't see everything. Who sees what you do at work? Who sees what you do in your house? What's, who sees what you do in your yard? You know, you get mad at your neighbor and you throw something on his side. I'm sick of his garbage always over here. See, God is interested in you offering the best. He wants the fat of the offering. Well, what was the fat of the offering for me that time? It was cleaning the mirror. <laughs> getting right with him. It sounds so stupid. I mean, if you think about it, you know, what does that have to do with your spiritual life? <laughs> it has a lot to do with it because God is dealing with that thing. Something that seems very, very minor may be something that causes you to walk in, in the carnal or in the flesh. And that hinders you. And when you come to church, believe it or not, that becomes a hindrance uh, from around you. See, because that, that's, that's who you are. That's, that's, where you, that's where you are. That's how, how you're moving. That's how you're functioning. And, and that affects the people you live with, the people you're around, believe it or not. That's why the Lord goes to all the, this, goes to the trouble of, of, of looking at all these little details many times in our lives. Because... If you're going to be used of God and be a priest that can offer for yourself and others, see, things have to be right with you first. So that now you're able to, to offer and minister and help and pray for. See, it's, it's not the, the big fancy prayer that you pray. You know, 
you don't have to have a big fancy prayer. You can just lay your hands on something and say, Lord, help this man. Touch him, Lord. Cause him to walk in the straight and narrow. And it's not so much the prayer you're praying, but it's the heart that's praying it. Because the Spirit of God will be able to move through this clean, pure heart and minister spirit and life. So, so these little things, they make a difference. And your obedience will be something that not only will help you, but it will actually help those around you because it will open you up uh, to minister in, in the right way, correctly. So let's, um, let's stop there with verse 11, and I think we'll, we'll continue on in this chapter. I was actually thinking of making it through 24 verses, but we'll stop at verse 11 and continue. Thank you. River shall flow Rivers of living